Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Uh, get your, your Bibles, your, your pads, your phones, whatever you may have, a piece of paper. We've got to sort of stay right on track. That's always a fun discipline for me. But in stimulating growth and change, we're coming to this fourth place in the word for mission. Stimulating growth and change. Let me tell you, after the first three steps, if you're sharing your faith and walking with someone, meet people where they are, instill God's value in every life, uh, secure the promise of God's word. Um, Lord, let this sink in that I'm about to say. If you're sharing your faith with them on that basis and that sequence, By the time they come to step number four, in other words, you can't get past step number three and not invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You can't get past step number three. Here's what I mean. We can encounter people as Jesus would encounter people, and on occasions, uh, he would, uh, on, on one in specific, he said, you have come close to the kingdom. See, you can meet people where they are and ask God to meet a person right where they are And they can acknowledge, wow, God's met me where I am, but that doesn't really change anything. Are you aware that in the Garden of Eden, that as God comes to walk with them on that last day in the cool of the day, they were hiding, and the entire conversation between God and mankind was done from where they were hiding. They never came out of hiding the whole time. God will come and meet you where you are and have a conversation See, next thing is, as he begins to impart, here's the worth and value in your life, the way and reason I designed you to be where you are. A person can even entertain that. Paul would preach a gospel sermon to some government leaders, and he says, you know, you've almost convinced me, Paul. You've almost convinced me. And then that third one, securing the promise of God's word. Now, here's the deal. Once a person has an encounter, you're sharing faith, and there's this sense of, wow, God is just... Come to meet me right where I am. And I'm, and I'm hearing that he has a plan of worth and value for my life that I've never heard before. That there's a purpose in my life. And then I begin to look towards the source of where that comes from, which is the word of God. See, there's no way you can then say, well, I want to hear what else God's word has to say. And at that point, Avoid either making a final decision, I'm, I'm going this way or I'm going that way and following him. That's also true of our own faith. Now today, we come to stimulating growth and change. By any other word, that is transformation. Everybody say transformation. Growth and change. Things are changing about me. Now, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's the same word translated freedom. It's an important word. Paul would use this word in Galatians chapter 5 when he would say, it's for freedom that you've been set free. And we go, wow. Uh, As often as I teach about that and quote that verse, it's like, okay, that really doesn't help me out. Are you aware that freedom does not ever have a final destination? That if you look at the word freedom in any language, in any language, not just the original languages of Scripture or the English language, but in any language, freedom is is defined by an absence of restraints 
not a destination. In other words, freedom is an absence of poverty. Freedom is an absence of being imprisoned. Freedom is an absence of bondage. Freedom is breaking free from whatever it is that's holding me back. But the good news is there is no end. There's no final destination to your freedom and my freedom until the end of the age when we see God face to face. There is no final destination. So you don't ever, like, arrive. It's this ongoing reality. And so when he says it's for freedom that you've been set free, I am free, free, free. We sang that song this morning. Uh, I am free. Yes, I am free. How many are thankful for that this morning? Say amen. Okay, right here. That Now, where the Lord is the Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, here's the key phrase, into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. I don't have occasion this morning to unpack those first few words They are referred to earlier in the passage of Scripture and what this concept of veil, Moses coming down off the mountain from the book of Exodus and his face would be covered up because of the residual glory of God that was just overwhelming, okay? But here it says, beholding as in a mirror, and we talked about this last week, the glory of the Lord. And in the biggest sense, that the root of the term glory, and this is so strange, is the word opinion. Now, last year I took a great deal of time on sort of unpacking that because it's very strange. And all of the, the, the scholars and writers on the word glory will say, while this word is one of the most frequently used words in Scripture, it's one of the most difficult to finally translate across because we think it means, the standard definition is, the radiant splendor or majesty of a thing. In other words, the essence of something shining out through me. And that works. But at the deepest sense of this term, it is the idea of an opinion, a stated opinion or reputation. And in the deepest sense of this word, God's glory, watch this, is his opinion about himself. And you go, okay, now, dude, you're just absolutely messing with my head. God has every desire for the essence, for the unmitigated, unbroken uh, essence of himself to take up habitation in us and to shine through us. Not my opinion of him, but his opinion of him. And then he tells us how we can measure transformation. We don't think of it that way a lot, but he tells us how, and we're going to get that. But it says we stand in front of this mirror, the image of God's word. By the way, did you know the book of James refers to the mirror of the word of God? And if you just stand in front of the Word of God without the Spirit of God, the only reflection you're going to get back is how absolutely destitute and broken I am. Because you're going to continue. There'll never be a day in your life when you'll open the Word of God and you're going to read it letter upon letter and say, I'm doing everything perfectly. I've just got it all down pat. You will never have that moment. So if you just stand in front of the Word of God, without the Spirit of God. Remember last week, John refers to the Word of God as the Word of truth, and he refers to the Spirit of God as the Spirit of truth. So there's no way you ever encounter the Word that He doesn't bring you to the Spirit, or the Word doesn't bring you to the Spirit, or that you encounter the Spirit that He doesn't point you back to the Word of God. The two are inseparable. 
But here's the good news. As we stand in front of not only the mirror of the Word of God, but the mirror of God's glory with the Spirit enhancing it, he says, now I don't want you only to see just what you aren't. Let me show you what you are. And let me show you how I see you through my eyes. Here it comes. And through my opinion. That's where he's translating transforming us from glory to glory to glory. I can come in on the worst day of my life, stand before the Word of God, and be condemned by that reality of falling short, then be convicted by the Holy Spirit of the possibilities that let yet lie beyond. Because as that Word of the, uh, as the mirror of the Word merges with the mirror of the Spirit, I can see two things, where I'm falling far short, and God says, now let me show you what you're about to become. That's powerful. That gives people hope. Okay, let's keep going. Without freedom, there is no transformation. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Without freedom, there is no transformation. But let me go ahead and say this. If there's no transformation, there, you're not walking in freedom. You've returned to bondage. You've referred, returned to your own definition. The book of Galatians blows this up. And again... What we're doing here on Sunday mornings is I'm having to teach each of these in about 30 minutes, but if we were in our, our classes for next steps, each of these would be, we'd study them for about an hour or longer and have a chance to talk back and forth and ask questions, which we're, we're sort of missing in this setting, okay? Let me show you some things as, as, um, that are critical. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 31, it says, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now watch how Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, on two occasions quotes the same thing. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. And again, the church becomes that extended house of Israel, the next, if you will, included covenant people. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. Amanda, I didn't send you one set of verses. If, if you could run down for me real quickly, uh, 2 Corinthians 3. I took it out, and I should have left it, verses 6 through 8. It begins mid-sentence because it's Paul writing about where his adequacy is from, and he's talking about things from God who makes us adequate as servants of the new covenant. But watch the language. Here it comes. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter, and it describes it. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones. Please hear me. Yeah, that language says he's referring to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and in the strictest sense when he first engraved, God first engraved the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. But in a bigger sense, he's referring to that old covenant, to the old list of laws that said you have to do this, eat this, don't go here, go there, sacrifice these things. Those were fulfilled in Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. The book of Hebrews written to Hebrew people in the New Testament. He says, but he is the high priest and the sacrifice that became the final sacrifice and sat down at the right hand of the Father. A high priest never sat down in the Holy of Holies. Never. And that coded language to the Hebrew people is powerful. It says this, Jesus Christ is the finished work. Okay, as that continues, it says, in letters engraved on stones came with glory, if, uh, excuse me, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses become of, of the glory 
uh, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? And he's asking a powerful question. He said, if those things carved on stone uh, uh, released glory, how much more so, watch how this all comes together, the Spirit of God engraving those letters on your heart. And that brings transformation. It's when it's written on my heart, not just written on pages for me to see, but when there comes a moment when it leaps off the page. Now, how do I measure that? I'm glad you asked, okay? Um, It's here that uh, the goal of transformation is freedom. I want you to get this. The goal of transformation of freedom, but the evidence of transformation is fruit. The goal of transformation is freedom, but the evidence of transformation is fruit. Now think with me. Pretend we're in a small room here and there's eight or ten of you around the table. So think like I'm really asking a question and you're really going to answer me back. What did we just discover or who did we just discover is the agent of transformation in our life? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of transformation. Let me give you a snapshot on this real quickly. And at some point I'll get the chance to come back to this. A year and a half or two ago, we did a whole series called Spirit Time and how the language in Genesis 3, uh, the original language where it says, uh, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That word cool is the identical term translated spirit, breath, breathe, wind, or to blow. And it's that way all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, If you're interested in this teaching, send me an email, tom at newhopeonline.com. Tom at newhopeonline.com. I'll send you the link to the teaching because I'm going to cut to chase here. Uh, After 30, 40 hours of just researching the word, calling a Hebrew scholar, I said, Dr. Martin, is there any reason why this term could not be translated if cool of the day, if the word day can also be translated time or hour? And he said, that's correct, depending on context. He said, actually, it could be translated right there, cool time or cool hour. I said, great, thank you. I said, but is there a reason why that this could not be translated and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at spirit time? And you've heard me tell this. The phone went quiet for about eight or ten seconds. And when he began to speak, he said, oh, my goodness, Tom. He says, absolutely. And then he started rattling things off. So here's what I want to tell you from that. The first place that the Holy Spirit appears in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It says that God, uh, that the, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep that was formless. Did you know that the psalmist writes, by the breath of your mouth, everything was formed and was made? Is that just poetic language? No. I believe it suggests, you can rarely, by the way, it suggests this. What you can rarely get every theologian to agree on everything. This is one of those. And one of them is that within the Trinity, the Father speaks, the will of the Father, the Holy Spirit acts, the Son came and redeemed and ransomed, but the Holy Spirit acted. Remember at the very beginning, it said in the beginning, in the beginning, and it says then the Holy Spirit was hovering. Here is what is clearly conveyed through the remaining part of Scripture, that when God said, let there be light, it was the Holy Spirit that was the light maker. When God said, let there be water, it was the Holy Spirit moving over everything and making it happen. The Holy Spirit, who is the transformer today, was the former then. He didn't start transformation right now. He started transforming what we see. He started transforming nothing into something at the very beginning. We've got to get this. 
We've got to get this because creation is happening in our life. The Bible says we are the new creation in Christ Jesus. It's not an accident. The same way that God gets, if you will, poised over this nothingness, and he said, let there be light, and the Holy Spirit acted on us, is the same way, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that God spoke concerning you and me before the foundation of the world, and he said we were blessed with, here it comes, spirit blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It is that same spirit that when God hovers over our life right now and he comes over Tom's life or your life and he says, there's brokenness right there. But Holy Spirit, we need wholeness to happen. The Holy Spirit engages and the same Holy Spirit that transformed a molecular nothingness at creation still makes something out of nothing in your heart and my heart every day. Go ahead and do that right there. We need to clap your hands and shout unto God. Is it not good to know that when God shows up and says, I'm going to make you completely whole. I'm going to make it where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control just grows in your life like a natural fruit. And you say, God, you clearly don't know my past. You don't know what came to me from my grandparents and my parents and down to me. You don't know that I've been abused and abandoned, take advantage of at every turn. It seems there is another done me wrong song every way. God, I am so sorry. I love you, Lord. And I know you're trying to instill value in my life, but there's nothing here for you to make anything with. And God answers back, that's just fine. I have a lot of practice at that. All you've got to do is turn to the first chapter of the Bible and everything you see was made from nothing, the apostle tells us. You say, well, I, I, I really don't have the good stuff for God to make anything with. You don't need stuff. You need the word of God. You need worship. You need to come to him and say, Father, you made everything out of nothing and there aren't the pieces here to make a whole human being. Every man listened to me. Every husband listened to me. Lord, there aren't the, I didn't have a model of a good father. I didn't have a model of a good husband. There's just not the, re, the, the psychological deposits for you to pull together and make something out of. God says, that's okay. I spoke at the beginning and said, let there be. And if you'll just come before me, open your heart, be ready to be transformed, I can make you something you never saw coming. That is the stimulated growth and change. Galatians chapter 5 then becomes the evidence of the work of the Spirit in the fruit of the Spirit. Stay with me. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the agent and activator of transformation. He was at the beginning, and I like saying it this way. What God spoke in formation, the Holy Spirit transformed. Then the devil came and whispered and deformed. Then the Son of God through the cross said, I'm going to reform what was deformed and originally formed and transformed. And when he got done, he says, when I'm done, I'm going to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit's going to come back here and pick right up where he left off. He never stopped being a transformer. He's just been waiting for me to come, pay the price, pave the way, and prepare the opportunity. You are that opportunity, and he's paid the price. Mm -mm -mm. Look at Galatians chapter 5, if you will. Galatians chapter 5, he says, it was for freedom that we've been set free. I'm going to skip past some things and you'll be glad because it will take too long. Galatians chapter, <laughs> I'm doing really good. Chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. 
The Spirit does what? What did we just learn? The answer is transforms me. So I'm going to ask everybody to say it. The Spirit does what? Okay, here we go. If it is the Spirit transforming, and this passage tells us that Spirit fruit, you understand it's the Holy Spirit involved on both ends. So if you want to know what transformation looks like, I'm about to share that with you in just a moment. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, let's pause right there. Let me see if I can skip down real quick. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Jump ahead there with me, Amanda, if you would. I'm going to end up there. But watch this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Where does the struggle come? You see, every, all of the evidence of our history has been carried out in the flesh. That is in your life, your heart, your soul, your emotions, the events of your life. Look with me again, back at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I love that. That's right back to that same language. He says, I'm writing something different on your heart. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Here they go. There's 16 of them. You ready? The deeds of the flesh are evident. And by the way, I don't think Paul had any desire to, complete, to create a complete and defined list. This is he's just shooting out there. But we're going to look at all 16. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. This, watch. It says, now, these are the deeds. The deeds. In other words, the works. They're what will show up. So we're looking at the works of the flesh over and against the fruit of the Spirit. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and, it's, and things like these, which is to say, I could keep listing these if you want. Of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, those who practice such things, everybody say practice. practice. Practice will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's endless debate depending on which side of the school of thought you fall on. That means, well, if I'm born again, but I still crash and burn in these areas, that means I don't go to heaven. Now, I believe the language here says that I won't inherit the full force of the kingdom in this age. In other words, the benefit of walking in kingdom power and being an overcomer. The degree to which I entertain these and allow these to take up residence uh, and not come before the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is the degree to which I will miss the fullness of the kingdom that I could otherwise walk in in this life. Okay, enough said about that. <clears throat> Let me be clear. This list is not looking. I, I want everybody to see this on the screen. This list is not God looking for a way to keep you out, but, whether, but rather to warn us of the things that keep us from drawing close. I want to say that again. This is not God looking for a list of things to keep you out. See, that's the thing as well. God, you know, he's just this list of stuff that nobody can ever get by. But rather he's warning us of the things that keep us from drawing close. Let's keep going. This list is pretty much divided into, years ago I looked at it, and there's four groups of things that are here. Sexual sin in the first, immoral, immorality, impurity, sensuality. I'm going to break these down for you. Idolatry uh, in idolatry and sorcery. <clears throat> Relational breakdowns 
in uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, or all relational issues. <clears throat> and excuse me, number four is excesses, drunkenness and carousing. Now, here is, here is a simple breakdown of those four categories. I think you have that as well, Amanda. The call out, are those there? Um, it's all about me, but that one that I'm looking for. The first group is my sensuality, is I'm looking just to satisfy me. I don't care about you. It's all about me. The second one is uh, things that get in between us and God. That's what idolatry is, and in the strictest sense, sorcery or witchcraft, things that come in between me and God. So here it is. It's all about me. It's not about God. And then relational matters, those seven or eight that are listed there. I don't care about you. And then the last two are so strong, drunkenness and carousing, I don't want any boundaries. These are the, see, here are the, here's the more broad ways to look in my life and say, God, am I bearing the fruit of the Spirit or am I doing the works of the flesh? Because if I get up every day and it's all about me, I'm not interested in God, is God being the center so that I can become what I need to become. And I really don't care about you and I want no boundaries. Did you know that I've just described Almost all of American cultural idealism. Come on. I didn't get, I want no big amens and shout, oh, preach, brother, preach. See, we, we don't know. It's all about me. It's not about God. I don't care about you. I want no boundaries. You see, the reason, <clears throat> the reason that God wants it to be all about him is because only when he is, when he is in the center of my life, do I become fully human the way he created me to be? If people ask me what I think the gospel is about, I think the gospel is about people becoming fully human. Fully human as God designed humanity to be. Now, I'm going to mention this, and as often as I do, I get text messages and emails, and that's fine. But I want to say this. For instance, when we address, uh, and, and, and I'm careful, the identity See, because we meet people where they are and still God's value. When we address, for instance, the identity that is assumed in homosexuality, you don't hear gay bashing around here. You don't hear homophobic fear-mongering. You don't hear that. You'll never hear that. But neither do you hear me saying, yes, that is God's intended expression of human wholeness. I can't say that. I can't say that because I don't believe the word of God says that. Now, I want you to hear and see my face and hear my voice and see my body language. It is not that I want to be some culture warrior to stand up and bash people and beat them up with the word of God. I want to direct, direct them to human wholeness. But there is no way that from what I understand God's word to say about declared human wholeness that I can say, yeah, that's cool any more than I can any other points of departure from God's wholeness for our life. Does everybody get what I'm saying? It's not an issue we pick to bash. For a year and a half, I had the opportunity to sort of be the fill-in student pastor, and I had the chance to answer the questions of the students, and one of them they would have frequently is, why do Christians hate gay people? Christians don't hate gay people. God doesn't hate anybody. God hates sin and brokenness in the lives of people and stands against that. I believe he hates what happened on the last day of the Garden of Eden when the serpent whispered and we believed the lie. But he doesn't hate people. He died for people. 
He loves people. He loves you and will love you, loves every person, if they never accept them as Savior, okay? Now, <clears throat> it certainly is that list falls in there. Um, by the way, I, I want to say something, because a lot of times I've mentioned the word wholeness and holiness, and a lot of times we want to create a list of religious things. Okay, I've got to go to church, read my Bible once a day, I've got to pray. And all those are good things. But if they become a manufactured list of religious expressions and works, here's the danger. We come to where we measure my holiness by my distance from sin rather than by my desire for God. I want to say that again. I grew up in denominational in a denominational and, and, and holiness preaching that constantly preached, don't do this, don't go there, don't do this. And there were places... That would, many of them, it would be good not to go and open yourself to. But we came to cultivate the definition of holiness by how far I was from sin rather than how proximate I was to God. You see, holiness is a matter of fo- focus and movement. It's, not a, it's focus and movement. I would hope if you've been walking with Christ for 30 years that you are farther down the path of an embraced human wholeness as defined by God than a person that just accepted God yesterday. You know, we get blown away by people come in and they still struggle with things and say, well, you know, I thought they were born again. They are born again. That doesn't mean that you're perfect the day after you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, Great, we're not supposed to teach against sin? Absolutely we are, as Paul just did, because it puts the wrong person in the center, me. It's not about, it's not about God. It's all about me. I don't care about you, and don't give me any boundaries. That, that, that's the American worship system right there, and we don't like anything. But neither do we measure our wholeness by our distance from, or wow, I've gone three days without saying a bad word or sending out an unfriendly hand gesture while driving in severe traffic. How many know that should be a sign of everyone wholeness that lives here? Okay? Amen. Don't say amen there either, all right? <clears throat> now, this is what transformation looks like. It's right where we're going to end. The Holy Spirit that transforms us, and we search our own heart. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, in verse 25, it says, For if we live by the Spirit, that is, I was born again by inviting God into my heart, and the Spirit came to live within me. He says, then just don't make that a threshold event. If we live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. Every day, walk by the Spirit. When was the last time you prayed that prayer, pointedly? You came into the presence of the Lord and you say, Father, transform me. Transform me. Where I don't see the fruit of love, joy, peace. See, and it's been years, I don't know, a decade since I've probably done a series on the fruit of the Spirit and should uh, find some place to, to, to make that happen. Because we can look and see, is that, what, what does love look like? What, what does joy overflowing look like? What is that sense of peace? And each of these words are so amazing. Joy, is, 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 as Peter writes, is unspeakable overflowing of, of, God, of godness, if you will. That it doesn't mean I'm going to be happy tomorrow if the, if the day goes well. 
That's happiness. But joy isn't informed by the events of any day. Joy is informed by the presence of God in my life. So it's this question. Do I have an overriding sense of joy irrespective of the things that may make me unhappy? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Let me ask this question. Anybody here marry? Okay, there we go. I still have the gift at any moment of doing stupid stuff. I can say stupid things. I'm going to be late. I'm not going to, and any of those things can irritate Brenda to no end. And there'll be moments, if I know you can't believe this, everyone look, I know you're going to be in absolute dismay when I tell you this, but there's moments that she is not happy with me. Do you believe that she has moments that my relationship to her can rob her of happiness? But thanks be to God who has ransomed our soul. That joy doesn't come from Tom Sturbance. She's nearly said those very words to me. <laughs> I still have joy even though you mess with my happiness. Now, anybody identifying with what I'm talking about? That we have the capacity to have joy even though our happiness can be turned upside down. Father, is there the fruit of love, joy, and peace? That word means fulfilled to satiation. I don't need another thing. See, when peace is there, I'm not going to strive to get ahead, cut corners, cheat, and say bad things about the person at work so I can get ahead of them. Why? Because my life is dictated to by irony or shalom. The peace of God that makes me full from the inside out. I, we don't require what the world requires to bring a sense of fullness because that hunger that nags at our soul, written about all through the New Testament, will dissipate by about 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. But that fullness with, comes with peace. It cannot be dissipated because, once again, it comes from God. Love, joy, peace. Are they growing in our life? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I love those. You see, they're where we look and say, are these growing? Because if they're growing, it's where transformation is happening. But why is it really important? Do we just want to grow fruit so that we can be a, a pretty fruit tree planted in the corner? I'm a fruit tree. No. Because fruit is indication of transformation. Watch this. And transformation is an indication of freedom. You see, because where I have love growing in my life, I have been transformed away from unforgiveness and bitterness. And I don't need that person to act any different or any better than they have. Where there's joy in my life, where that fruit is going, I've been transformed from depending on the events of tomorrow to inform my happiness. And whether I come home grumpy or mad or whatever I do, I'm going to walk through the door. I'm not going to walk through and say, ah, that job again. Those people that I work with, and you come home to your wife or your husband or whatever, and all you do is drag the events in from the day. Great, talk about them. But I want to let you know, I have a fountain of joy that's welling up. They tried to rob it today, but that's not happening. And so you end up talking about the fruit that's growing. See, because the fruit indicates transformation, and transformation indicates freedom. It means that that job or those people don't control me. The Spirit of God living inside me does. And see, the second place that transformation is mentioned in the Bible, and the only other place, is in Romans chapter 12. I didn't send you these. Amanda, it says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. Everybody say worship. And don't be conformed to the world. Everybody say world. Did you know that world, aeon? There's two words for world, cosmos and aeon. And aeon is the one that represents sort of the atmosphere, the age, the time 
uh, the, the uh, cosmos is more about the time and specific um, uh, sequences or progress is the material world in which we live. But aeon, you see, there's not really a good word for culture. This word is the closest we get. And so we could fairly uh, substitute, don't be conformed by culture, but be transformed. And who does the transforming? Who do we know? The Spirit, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? I stand in front of the mirror of God's Word and His glory, and I watch that working and say, Father, show me how you're working in me, what I will become if I take that next step of faith based upon your Word. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want to say this to you. I don't have a, um, a call out up here for this. What this says is, and we get, you've heard me teach on this over and over for 18 years. The word conformed comes from the word that we get the term schematic. And a schematic is a diagram that tells you how something in this day and age, contemporary application, how something electrical works, how circuitry is routed, how it passes through. Rich Stone could could give you a much better definition. He works on high-end imaging uh, um, uh, equipment in the hospitals, nuclear stuff and MRIs, and, and he repairs them. But every one of these has one or millions of circuit boards that when you apply voltage to it, when you apply power to it, where it goes, what it does, what it's sent, and what it's performed. Have you ever heard anybody says, uh, and uh, if you ever heard anybody say, uh, we can say it that's married. I'm picking on marriage this morning. She just pushes my buttons. The question is, why do you have a button to push? A button only means you're being conformed, that the world... Well, I have buttons because I experienced this when I was a kid, and my dad said that, and my mom did this, and, and my previous spouse that divorced me did that, and, and they just wired me. She knows how I'm wired. She knows how I'm wired, bless God. Why does she push those buttons? Take the buttons away. You only have buttons if you're conformed. You don't have buttons if you're transformed. Please hear me. As long as you have buttons, you're not free. Conformity does not bring you freedom. Transformation brings you freedom. That we, the Spirit, works freedom through transformation. And I love what Jesus said when he looked at that woman caught in the act of adultery and he made the pronouncement to everybody around her. He said, you can say what you want. He said, let me talk to you. He said, when they start, then they begin talking to him about this situation and he makes this statement. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? The truth will make you free. The test of truth is not a set of religious or legalistic listings. The test of truth is free. The test of truth is not who has the most right information. The test of truth is freedom. Let me just say this. This is total sidebar. Of the emails and questions I get, where do we find truth? Everything about statistics, COVID-19, the economy, conspiracy theories, where do we got that? <clears throat> Even if you could find the truth about all those things, they don't have the capacity to bring you a freedom of soul. Only God does. What we call truth out there is a set of listings and facts and what, and great. It can disrupt our life, but it doesn't have the ability to steal our freedom because the ultimate truth we respond to is the truth that we found in Christ, in his word, through the power of transformation. And the next, whatever report that comes and whatever happens in this, uh, with all that's going on with this, it doesn't make any difference. It starts inside us. It doesn't come from out there. The latest, greatest piece of information, economic projection, political uh, assertion, or, 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 or medical report, ultimately 
should not carry the power to bring us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's why people look at us and say, you guys are whack. You don't live in the real world. And the answer is, you're exactly right. I'm informed by one you can't see. That's a good place. If you clap your hands and say amen, I'll quit. One, two, three. Okay, well, I guess I'll keep talking and you're going to be last in line at Cracker Barrel. Let's stand together. Come on, right now. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.